Welcome back. In this week's episode, we discuss the imminent collapse of the current Israeli government, Elon Musk becoming the primary shareholder at Twitter, and we do a case study comparing Florida and Colorado. I'm Luke. And I'm Rody. And this is the Right Side of the Compass podcast. So, Rody, how was your weekend? It was really good. I was in the city, hung out with some friends. Um, it was pretty chill, and uh, yeah, it was it was really good. Oh, that's good. That's good. I uh, I actually usually don't go away for meals, but this week I went away for both dinner and lunch on 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 the Sabbath. I had a good time. I was just, I was hanging out with friends. I hung out with a friend of mine from lunch. We hung out until 10 p.m. Saturday night. I went over to him at like 12. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. We spoke about we, we just had a good time. He had two dogs. We took them to the park. He has big dogs. These are massive dogs, big boys. So we took them, you know, because they're, they're good boys. They deserve to go to the park. So that's that. That's what I did this weekend. We want to put out more content for you to enjoy, but we need your help. Smash the like button, share this with your friends, and subscribe to the channel. In addition, we are on all of your favorite podcast platforms, so if you like listening to us on Apple, Spotify, Google, and the other platforms like that, we have your back. You can reach out to us on Instagram by sliding into our DMs at the right side of the compass or by commenting on the YouTube video. So without any further ado, let's get on with the show. Topic number one, we're going to be talking about some breaking news coming out of the Israeli government today. Or not today, but, you know, last week. The Bennett government is falling apart. Is that good or bad? Let's see. <laughs> so I, right. I feel, I feel. first of all, I feel like because it's Passover time, I feel like we should use the obvious joke and say the Bennett government is crumbling. It's, you know, we better falling go to pieces. Clean it up. We, yeah, well, well, I don't want to clean it up. I want it to be in crumbs. Hopefully before <laughs> Passover. Hopefully before Passover, they'll announce new elections. But uh, I don't know. Anyways, Woo-hoo. we shall see. We, new well, elections. Well, before we say our opinion, or we said our too late. Uh, but first, what I want to do is I want to talk about the facts. And the facts are as follows. Member of Knesset, Edith Silman. Member of Yamina in Naftali Bennett's party. She resigned from the coalition and she joined the opposition. Okay? So she joined BB. I don't know. So that's the thing that that no one's quite explained to me what that meant. I assume that means she left her party. I, I can check that up right now. Should I check that up? I assume that does. I think she's still in that party. That's the thing. Oh, no, 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 no. So on Wikipedia, this is Wikipedia is real news here. We know that Wikipedia is a reliable source. On the 6th of April, 2022, Silman defected from Yamina to the opposition Likud party, causing the governing coalition of Prime Minister Naftali Bennett to lose its majority in the Knesset and raising the possibility of new elections in Israel for the fifth time in four years. Oh, wow. So, yeah, yeah. So she's, I guess from what that means is that she's officially part of the Likud party, but I don't know how that works. And that's what's so weird, because the thing is, is that you you kind of get elected as part of a party. And so if she stops being in Naftali Bennett's party, wouldn't she lose her seat to someone who was in Naftali Bennett's party and not just switch her? I I don't understand how that works. 
who knows? But if she resigns from her seat, then that means the coalition goes down if she was making uh, the six, 61 or 60 percent. So, no, it's it's not. So there's 120 seats. OK, so here's how it works. There's 120 seats in Knesset, right? Yeah. And uh, what happens is, is that you need to have 61 seats to build a coalition. Now, this government had exactly 61 seats. That means that the opposition had 59 seats. They had 61 seats. That means for the coalition to fall apart and for new elections to be called, they would need to lose yet another voice in the coalition. So two. Two, right. Because because they start out with 61, right? Right now, in this position that they're in right now, the government can't do anything unless they get from the opposition. They can't do anything. Like, they need 61? Yeah, well, they need 61 to vote in for it, to vote for anything. So, like, let's say they want to make a bill saying that Luke and Rhodey's show is awesome and we're going to promote it on, you know, as government propaganda. It could be the only podcast that that exists in Israel. (laughs) Exactly. So, the right side, they want to make the right side of the compass bill, which says that the right side of the compass is going to be the new podcast of Israel. That's the only podcast we're allowed to listen to, right? Which, to be fair, would be great legislation, right? To be fair, to be fair. (laughs) I, I, I would not oppose such a bill. However, now that there is not. 60 61 members in the coalition you would need to get someone from the opposition to vote with the coalition to do stuff which by the way naftali bennett if you're listening we are willing to take back everything we said about you guys <laughs> if you guys do pass such a bill just, just letting you know because just letting we're you know pri- we're, we're principled but we're not that principled <laughs> yeah so so yeah anyways so Right now they have 60 votes, so they're they're holding the, the coalition together, but it's by literally the skin of their teeth. Assuming another person goes, that's it. They have no more coalition because then the opposition's bigger than the coalition, and then the opposition just can just call for a vote of no confidence, and then a new govern a new elections are called. Yeah. So what do you know? Uh, would you like to explain why uh, she left? So allegedly, and this is allegedly, she left because. They wanted to continue, even though this is why it's a weird thing. Uh, what happened was, is that there was a big thing about people because Passover is coming up. So as you can imagine, this is a Passover issue. Uh, there's certain traditions in the Jewish state that even though technically there's nothing wrong with them, according to the Jewish religion, the Jewish state tries to safeguard them. And one of those things is that in the public square in Jewish areas, you're not supposed to have leavened bread products, such as bread, pasta. Uh, what I, what are, I, I can't like what would like, what would I even say? Um, Things like that, right? I don't know pizza. Um, yeah, yeah, thing. And it, it has to be kosher for Passover during those seven days. And one of the things is that in in the the Supreme Court ruled that the gov that the government can't prevent people from bringing leavened bread products into a hospital in Israel on Passover. And this was a while ago, but apparently because they're not down to make a bill saying that that I guess uh, these hospitals have the right to tell people to not do that. Well, so I guess do you think it's because of health reasons? Like, hey, like you know. It's because it, people are in the hospital. So if it becomes like a life and death situation, like, you know, if it's more healthy for them to eat hummus, sorry, to eat, you know, leavened bread, 
you know, do you think it's, that's a, it's never that it's never like that. Most fad diets nowadays tell you to lose the carbs anyways. That's not the issue. The reason is it's a it's a freedom of religion issue. And so there's a conflict, naturally, because Israel's the Jewish state, right? And so we're safeguard it's not just Jewish ethnically, we are kind of safeguarding certain Jewish traditions and making a Jewish quote unquote whatever that means atmosphere, right? But you also have a freedom of religion aspect. So if you're a not religious Jew or you're a Christian or a Muslim, are you allowed to have leavened bread products? Not in your, it's not in your own home. In your own home, you're allowed to do whatever you want. But in a place that mainly services Jews. And Edith Silman, she essentially said, no, like you shouldn't be allowed to do that. And she left the coalition because of this issue. She said in many, like many times she was asked and, and she was saying something along the lines of, it's not the only thing, it's the straw that broke the camel's back. I'm sure there were other discussions. I mean, there are so many because there, that's not the only issue when it comes to, you know, like whether, you know, same thing with like the busing. It's like, oh, you know, should, you know, there be busing on, on Shabbat, on, you know, on the Sabbath for people who aren't observant, you know, it's, it's like, you know, the same concept. Right, but essentially she said that this is an issue for me and I can't do this, but it's not the only issue, but it's the main issue, right? Or it's the it's the final issue. It's the issue that, like, she can't take it anymore, right? And so that that's really what happened. So, okay, so she left Naftali Bennett's party. She went to Benjamin Netanyahu's party, right? Okay, well, you know, if that's it, nothing's happening to the coalition. But the problem is, is we already kind of know things are happening. Uh, these are the final, the, the days of the coalition are kind of numbered. And we know this because of this article in Israel Hayom, uh, Israel Today. And essentially, it's it's going over different uh, members of Knesset who might leave the coalition, right? So let's think about, let's see what it okay, says here. Okay, so who else? So, okay, so it says two more potential lawmakers to join the opposition are members of Knesset Abir Kala. Yamina and Sharon Haskell, New Hope. The two have already begun talks with regard to the matter, but according to Silman, have not yet come to a significant cl- conclusion. Both lawmakers have presented a list of requirements in order to go through with the change. So now, now it looks like Benjamin Netanyahu might get two more members of Knesset, or at least one more in the Likud party. And then that will cause the the current government. And when I say the government, I don't mean like the entire bureaucracy. What I mean is the coalition in power. That's what people typically mean when they say the government, right? Yeah. So if they leave and join Bibi, then he's going to have the majority. And so then he's going to be the, you know, he's basically going to be the prime minister again. No, that's not how that works. Because how it works, from what I understand... This is, and I think it's not, and when, when I say from what I understand, it's because I'm missing, you know, certain little details, but this is broadly speaking what's going to happen. If, let's say, another member of Knesset leaves the coalition and joins the opposition, the opposition just calls for a vote of no confidence and then we go back to elections. It doesn't then change how the government works before an election. So until uh-huh. a new government is formed, Naftali Bennett's still the prime minister. Uh-huh. I mean, I guess, do they have like a certain amount of time to create a coalition before like elections or something? No. Once a vote of no confidence, th- this is how these parliamentary systems work. The government can collapse immediately, right? 
And what will happen is, is that if, if, if let's say the opposition votes for a vote of no confidence in the current gov- government, then they essentially they voted to have new elections. Uh-huh. I got it. In the United States, you don't see this very often because you vote for individual people in individual seats. So each person's seat is not really dependent on what other people do. But because you have a political party system, governments, even even if there is a certain amount of time where if there is no such vote of no confidence that occurs in the government, in, in like I think in Israel it's five years. If a government lasts for five years, then there's new elections, right? But if, let's say, two years down the line from an election – the government decides they don't want to be part of the government anymore, they don't like the government, then they can vote for a new government. And I think, ignoring all the other things, I think that's probably for the best in this case, because I don't think there's anyone really that's happy with the current situation. No one was, because the last election was an election not for the parties, it was an election just to get rid of Bibi. So they kind of compromised with people... So like, you know, the right parties compromised with the left and other parties that they probably wouldn't usually join forces with in order to get Bibi out of office. So and by doing that, they made a coalition that was not necessarily stable or I think the best for the country. Right. Typically, people call this the unity government. I call it the diversity government. It's number one. It was a government that. I, I made a point about this on my personal Facebook page. Uh, I don't even remember what I said, but I essentially said, like, you know, they have no coherent uh, ideology. They they just hate the guy in charge. Uh, they they support abortion. Nitzan Horowitz, the health minister, supports abortion. Uh, they pander to Islam. And just like diversity hires in other industries, you know, they're not good at, good at anything except for kissing the asses of all the important people. It was to check so, all the boxes. Exactly. You got your you got your right wing Jews, you got your left wing Jews, you got your Arabs. This is a diversity government and it behaves like a diversity government. Anyways, so of course Naftali Bennett, as usual, he's gonna say things like the 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 coalition's not falling apart and everyone likes it. No one likes this situation. I could tell you, just from speaking with Israelis, I've met a lot of Israelis who tolerate the situation. They say they like it better than the Netanyahu government. I haven't met people who were happy with this. I've never met someone who's like, you know what I really wanted? I wanted Naftali Bennett in charge of a left-wing government. No, I, I never heard anyone say that. So I can tell you from personal experience, just from like having a brain and eyeballs, it's just not true. And this is a similar, this is not the first time Naftali Bennett has lied to my face, pissed on my leg, and then told me it was raining. This is not the first time. So uh, let's just, let's just say that and let's be done with that. So... But the big question is, and this is the big question, what is going to stop the next election from being like the previous four elections? What's going to, can you repeat that? What is going to stop another set of elections from going exactly like it did last time? Well, if I guess, so the one the, the one thing that will stop it is, if Bibi decides not to become prime minister. Uh, right, but that's not happening because Bibi, Bibi Netanyahu is like an unstoppable force. And you don't have to like, this is not because I like Benjamin Netanyahu. This is just me pointing out that Benjamin Netanyahu is an unstoppable force. 
And the other right-wing parties that he pissed off and all those, those are unmovable objects. Unstoppable force meet immovable object. What do we do now? Although it could be that we saw what happened with the diversity government, and perhaps people are going to say, you know, maybe Benjamin Netanyahu is not that bad. If Benjamin Netanyahu steps down, I think that would probably be for the best. I know a lot of Benjamin Netanyahu fans, and they seem to have this impression that everyone loves Benjamin Netanyahu. This is the impression I get. I think there are a lot of people that like Benjamin Netanyahu. Genuinely. I think there are a lot of people that like having him as the prime minister. I think there are a lot of people that think there's nothing wrong with Benjamin Netanyahu. Let's just keep him in office, right? I think, however, there are a lot of people that don't want Benjamin Netanyahu in office. Vehemently so. And I think those people, it's not that they have enough power to keep him out of office altogether, but between the fact that Benjamin Netanyahu has made a lot of enemies and the fact that there are enough people that don't like Benjamin Netanyahu in office, those two facts put together make Benjamin Netanyahu an untenable candidate for prime minister because you just can't break it. At a certain point, you make too many too many enemies. You can't build a coalition. The reason why the right is so fractured in Israel is primarily because of Benjamin Netanyahu. So that's that's one thing. If Benjamin Netanyahu were to leave politics, I think immediately there would be a very, very right-wing government. I think a lot of things could get done. I guess that's really like that's really all I can think of in terms of what would make the elections different if Benjamin Netanyahu would leave. I guess the only other thing would be is that if people see, oh wow, the, the, it was so bad having these people in power, you know, let's let's put aside our differences, let's continue with Netanyahu in power or whatever it is. Let's just continue doing it. Well, how do you, how do you feel about it? Do you want BB to be in power? I mean, I don't want BB in power, but I hate this government even more than I hate Benjamin Netanyahu in power. Only because I really don't like having the the left in power. And that is what we got with Naftali Bennett. So I guess I would prefer Benjamin Netanyahu, but again, Benjamin Netanyahu is just more of the same. If you liked Israel under Benjamin Netanyahu, that's great. I thought Benjamin Netanyahu's Israel was kind of so-so. But whatever, it is what it is. Do you have any opinions, or...? Um, my opinion is that I'm kind of on the same page as you, that I don't mind having... I think that Bibi has been in power for too long, and like you said before, that he's not as effective as people think he is. Um, I do think that, you know, certain policies I think should be more strict or he should be, you know, more tough, which I seen in the past that he wasn't. And also just that, you know, I think it's a good change of pace to have someone else in power. But I also at the same time do agree with you that this one seems worse. So like I might, you know, I, I, I will be fine with, with, I guess anything else, but this one. So but, you know, it would be a good change of pace not to have BB as the prime minister. Okay, next topic. Let's talk about Elon Musk again. One of our favorite people, Elon Musk. Oh, our, one of our favorites. After, after Michael Knowles. <laughs> after Michael Knowles. I think Elon Musk is your Michael Knowles. Like, I, I have Michael Knowles, you have Elon Musk. I love Elon Musk. He, he's just so entertaining. <laughs> 
He is. If you, after this story, we'll tell you. We'll we'll say something very interesting. But uh, let's go over. Oh, he's just the such Elon- a boss, and he just knows how to. He just knows culture, and he knows how to play it to his advantage. And that's what I love about Elon. This, this is great. Yeah, yeah, Elon. But Elon Musk did something that I gotta say. Like I, I'm very impressed with Elon Musk as a businessman, obviously, but my respect for him went up. When he did the thing that we've been saying that he should do, or not not exactly, but he's, you know, he did the thing that uh, the logical conclusion of what we would do if we had his money. I mean, he's obviously been listening to our podcasts. Obviously. And yeah, he's been listening to our podcasts and he's like, you know what? Luke and Rodi is right. So, you know, I have money, <laughs> so I'm going to do something about this. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, absolutely. Um, so let's let's get into the story now. Uh, Elon Musk purchased nine percent of Twitter stock. Now this doesn't sound like a lot because nine percent is a single digit, but remember, he's now the number one shareholder at Twitter. Yeah, no, not, around ten percent is around like the average of what a like CEO would like have. The fact that he had twenty percent of Tesla was that's a lot. <laughs> but uh, going back to to Twitter, yeah, no, nine percent is, I guess, if if that makes him the the number one shareholder, then yeah, that's that's a lot. <laughs> no, I I agree with you that it is a lot. I'm just saying that when you think about like nine percent, that doesn't sound like a lot until you remember like how much Twitter stock is like. There's one or two Twitter stock over there, one or two Twitter. Like most people own Twitter stock, they have one or two shares. This guy has nine percent of it. Well, yeah, but it's nine percent over the other higher shareholders. A lot of a lot of the shareholders is actually you know it's you know between the you know the the chair like the you know the people who you know make up the the company. That's that's what's more. I mean, the public is a little bit different. It's also a little bit separate. It's kind of hard to explain um, how it all works, which I'm not going to get into right now, but. The, the point is, is that he's the largest shareholder of Twitter now, and he's a boss for doing that. And um, if I was the CEO of Twitter, because we, you know, after, do you, do you remember the name of the current CEO after so Jack Dorsey resigned? I'm going to look it up right now. Uh, CEO Twitter. It's after Jack Dorsey, Parag Agrawal. Yeah, whatever. I can't pronounce it. <laughs> um, he's an yeah, Indian like- American not yeah, like native american, american and american. in one of the interviews that he had it was very clear that he was anti free speech very clear um he was like and he was also you know he wasn't saying he was saying like oh you know we're not anti you know free speech you could say what you want on twitter we just you know will limit who would hear it you you it's never it's never your anti free speech you're pro free speech but <laughs> but you know where you we just might limit like who can hear it Kind of. Exactly, exactly. But that's not really free speech. But we all know how, you know, how much Elon Musk is is very pro free speech. You know, we see that from his from his tweets. And so, you know, this could be a game changer for for Twitter. I don't know. They're supposed to be having a meeting like a a board meeting soon about it. Um, You know, well, Twitter stock went up like 10 bucks almost. Yeah, this is very good. That's a lot. Um, Yeah, this is very and. So like anyone who anyone who has Twitter stock right now, you better hope that Elon Musk is going to start buying up more of it. He's going to start, you know, unlocking some of those banned accounts. 
you know, I'm thinking of a certain former president of the United I don't know. States. We'll, 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 only, we'll wait and see what happens. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> I just need a box of popcorn with me and, you know, watch and see what happens because. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I'm going to be watching. <laughs> I'm going to be watching. But the, the thing that I really like about this move as opposed to the other moves, conservatives, and, and this is kind of a thing that conservatives have been doing, but I, 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 I kind of understand and I understand why, right? Cause if you have nothing else to do, if you don't, if you're not sitting on billions of dollars, all you can really do is make your own Twitter. But what Elon Musk did instead was instead of making his own Twitter, he made Twitter his own. Yeah, no, which is a very, it just shows, you know, that's power, <laughs> you know, that like you can just buy up, you know, 9% of Twitter stock. And now he has actual influence in how they, you know, do their business. Right. And the reason why this is so important is because, Social media, and I always say this, and there are people who always tell me, like, no, Luke, you're wrong, you don't understand, they're going to make their own platform, it's going to be better. No, it's, it's not like an Oreo cookie, right? Like, you, do you know the story of Hydrox cookies versus Oreo cookies? Do you know that story? No. Okay, so basically, Oreo is a knockoff of Hydrox cookies. Not the other way around? No, Hydrox sounds like... I assume one of the reasons that people like Oreos is because Hydrox sounds like a cleaning agent and not like something yeah, you put like, in your body. Sounds like a poison. It, it does. But the thing is, is that it, there, there was the Hydrox cookie and then the Oreo copied the Hydrox cookie. And, oh, wow. and the reason why the Oreo was able to do well is because you're not – when you join, when you buy an Oreo cookie, you're not abandoning the Hydrox ecosystem. You're not – telling all your friends who eat Hydrox cookies that you're not going to talk to them anymore. But if you leave Twitter, unless all your friends leave Twitter with you and go to Getter, for example, and this is not to say anything bad about Getter, right? This is just the reality. If you leave all your friends at Twitter to go to Getter, you're, you're moving to a new platform, right? And so all these conservatives who left Twitter, they're now going to Getter. But the problem is, is that who's on Getter? conservatives you're not you don't have access to the culture yeah maybe you get to say what you want and that should be how twitter is as well but even if you do have to say what you want you're already telling people that agree with you so it's not well, broadly like, speaking agree with you maybe you don't agree like on tax margins or whatever but you're like there's a broad agreement in the getter sphere right but twitter that's where everyone is everyone's on twitter yeah no exactly so i don't know does it does that mean there's going to be you know people going back to twitter uh well, I know that after this decision, we're probably going to open a Twitter account. Oh, wow. Nice. We're going to have a right side of the compass Twitter account. So, yeah. So tune in. Tune in. Yeah, yeah. Enjoy. Um, I, I've never heard of anyone opening a Getter account and then opening a Twitter account later. But, you know, Elon Musk makes the impossible possible. So that's that. But the the thing that's important, right? Here's the thing that's very important. And this is the question. Is this a model for the future of conservatism, economic warfare? Is it a model? Um, it might be like, you know, people using their money and power to, you know, make influence, you know. So like you're saying, like, would, you know, Jeff Bezos, you know, do the same thing if he wanted to? I mean, they already essentially do that in some way. Right. But the problem like Jeff is Bezos, he bought what was it, the newspaper? Um, Washington Post. The Washington Post, yeah. He bought the Washington Post. So it's not about the, the strategy in and of itself. It's that 
do conservatives have that strategy at their in their in their tool set? Is that a thing that we can do? I mean, unfortunately, the only person who might be on our side, like isn't Elon Musk, everyone else is, you know, a liberal, you know, Bill Gates, uh, Warren Buffett, Jeff Bezos. All these I mean, people. Warren Buffett is more liberal, but he doesn't really seem to be very active in politics. So. Right. But he's not going to like buy Facebook and make them be less partisan. He's not going to do right, that. You're right, but he's also the type of guy that he's just in it for the, the money. He's also like 80, 90 years old. So. He's, not, he's not savvy enough to do it. Musk is very unique in that he's, he, he's invested enough in the culture. He wants a free Twitter. Like, I don't think yeah, – Yeah, like, I, would, like I, don't think, I don't think Warren Buffett even has like a social media account. <laughs> and even if he did, like he's probably using his like, oh, we're, we're doing this thing at uh, – what's the name of his company? Uh, I his forget. company probably has – like, you know, his company probably has a marketing team and they probably have, you know, Twitter. But like Warren Buffett itself probably doesn't have. Oh, you don't think he like tweets out like what he thinks about the economy? Or that's probably illegal on some level. That's probably why Elon Musk gets in a lot of trouble because he says a lot of things on Twitter that he shouldn't be saying from an economic standpoint. I don't know. <laughs> right. Um, so, but that's the thing. Like, do we like as I think for we were talking about it, I think last week, the Daily Wire making Jeremy's razors and now they're making children's programming and they have all these movies coming out. Uh, we might see a lot of products coming out of the Daily Wire, but I think this this specifically is probably the way to go when it comes to social media. We need our own billionaire class to start buying all the social media platforms. Because if we have access to the social media platforms, we can start changing hearts and minds. Whereas if we all have to run away to the other social media platforms, then we kind of don't have access to those platforms. Um, I saw this on the Lotus Eaters. They brought up this uh, tweet, twit, Twitter thread, tweet thread, uh, that was a bunch of like advice for Elon Musk, and I, I wanted to go over it because I want to hear your reaction to it, Rody, as well as I want to kind of say my thing. So this is uh, from at present witness underscore. Uh, some advice for at Elon Musk. Number one, move extremely fast. Don't give them time to plan and react. They are still shell shocked and won't be thinking clearly. Yeah, that's that's important. That's very very important, actually. I I don't, I don't think you disagree with me on this one. Um, so yeah, so he's basically saying that, Hey, Elon Musk, um, you know, you have this chance to make change, but like you, they're still in shell shock. This just happened like out of nowhere, which actually might not actually be true because it's not that when it comes to like that amount of money, there's, you know, protocols and, and different things that have to go into effect. And it's not just a simple process of like, Elon Musk can't just go on Robin Hood and buy that many. Like it, it's when it comes to that amount of money, there's more like a, you have to go through more like official ways of doing it and other like brokerages that deal with that amount of money. So yeah, it's not but- necessarily the same. So it's probably not as much as a shell shock as, as they might think. Okay. So that's a good point. I will say that. However, I don't think the average Twitter employee who's like a programmer, I don't think they're necessarily paying attention to the stocks. And so it, you're right, but the, the employee and the programmer has no influence. 
they do. They, they, and, and we're going to get into this. We're going to, we're going to, this is actually the next, uh, next piece of advice. Number two, put pressure on not only the leadership, but lower level employees as well. Woke companies are more autonomous than most might initially think. Their employees are there because they already, quote unquote, know what to do. Get as many of those who will be a problem, quote unquote, to quit as possible. Uh, yeah, there's already a lot of, remember when Netflix, um, when they had the Dave Chappelle special, a lot of Netflix employees were threatening to quit over it. Yeah. So I, I assume we're going to be seeing a lot of that Twitter activists dusting off their resumes, looking for other places to work, which would be really neat because then they can, you know, hire more, uh, I don't want to say conservative because I don't know if necessarily conservative, but like people are going to leave everyone alone. People are just going to do their jobs and not sit there and police everyone's opinion, which is really what you want at a woke, not, well, not at a woke company. You want it at a social media company. You don't want, you don't even want a conservative necessarily. You want someone who's just going to leave everyone alone. Just let people say what they need to say. Yeah. Number three, restore, uh, number three, restore Donald Trump immediately, or at least publicly vocalize your willingness to do so. This will help with the previous suggestion. Bring back Malone, McCullough, and some of the more well-known banned accounts. Uh, yeah, Donald Trump. If Donald Trump comes back to Twitter, we're definitely getting a Twitter account. It's not even a question. We're yeah. definitely, we're definitely. If only so we can see what Donald Trump is posting. <laughs> yeah, that'd be really entertaining. Oh my god, I would be so excited. Oh, I don't know god. why you want to ban his account. I mean, if, if ain't, even even if it is like politically, it's just entertaining. It's so entertaining. Oh my god, Donald Trump was the king of Twitter until he handed it off to Elon Musk unwillingly. But you know, I want to see those two on Twitter again together. Number four, increase your stake every time the leadership publicly countersignals you. Okay, let me read that again because I was terrible. Number four, increase your stake every time the leadership publicly countersignals you. With only 9%, you will be a pariah to them. But if you show a willingness to increase it, you will be able to leverage it. So I think in that term, like we have to see what what is Elon Musk's motive like you're we're saying, hey, like this is a good thing that he's buying nine percent. But was his motive for buying Twitter was was it for that actual reason to like, you know, to have influence over social media or was it a profit um, calculation? Like, did he actually think, hey, Twitter was going to do well? Um, I'm thinking maybe it's the first one because I, I at least. I don't know what Twitter is planning on doing business-wise to really um, entice someone to really invest in them that much. Well, they're so not. That's the point. That's the they were hemorrhaging money, right? Twitter was so not. So I don't well. know what his motives are. If his motive was, you know, political and for free speech, then yeah, he might just do that. Also, I don't know how much Elon Musk has in reserves or how much. He, oh, he's a busy guy. It's like I, I find it amazing. How does he have time for all this? <laughs> Well, let's look at let's look at what happened, right? Like Twitter was not doing businesses. well. I was looking at I was looking at the stocks, right? I'm looking at the stocks. Twitter has pretty much been pretty bad for a while. Ever I think you see in 2016 or 2015 even. Well, 2015 is kind of stable and then it dips in 2015 starts dipping in 2015. That's when they start banning a lot of people. And then it starts going up again, but the minute, the minute uh, Elon Musk starts buying Twitter. Well, maybe they came to him. Maybe they knew like, hey, like, you know, Elon Musk, you know, 
like we said before, a lot of the companies are successful because of Elon Musk. You know, right, and of- that's what that's what I'm thinking. I, I think it's probably a lot more accurate to say that Elon Musk saw that the company wasn't doing well. He used that as an opportunity to buy low, and Elon Musk buying the company made it shoot up ten bucks in the stock market. Yeah, which just shows how much that these people can influence the market just by their actions, which is a scary thought. Fine, but to me, the the reason why I think it's number one, the reason why I think that, um, the reason why I think that it was probably for the the first reason that he did want his own platform is because he did, he was kind of saying like, oh, we should be looking into like social media. Like, how can I help? Like he was looking into that. If you've been following him on Twitter, he's been very active in trying to, uh, get people to or to try and enter the social media game so but i think this is actually a very good idea because right now he only has a certain amount of leverage he's on the board of directors but he only has nine percent but if let's say they start rebelling against him and then he starts buying more he has more say and he could start throwing people out and then he could start saying oh this guy he's giving me a hard time let's replace him with someone that i like more so Apply this is number five. Apply pressure to the NGOs involved in fact checking and hate speech classification. Keep in mind that this isn't just one company. What we perceive as Twitter is a vast network of NGOs, State Department operatives, and advertisers coordinating to drive the narrative. Yes, yes, one hundred percent true. Twitter and Facebook and all these companies, they do have a lot of NGOs, and yes, there are connections to the State Department, which is why this is so very scary and it's a violation of the First Amendment. Or a lot of these things should be classified as violations of the First Amendment. Number six, signal intent to move away from the legal defense of AIML and toward a more human content mediation approach. Twitter and Facebook hide behind this defense to avoid legal accountability for obvious po- for obviously politically targeted aggression. Uh, yeah, that's one of the things I hate about these social networks. They have no accountability. You get banned, or you get some some one of your posts gets taken down. You have to like go to some bot or something that will look at your post again. Why isn't there someone to talk to? They're taking our information. Can I at least talk to a person, please? Because that would cost more money. <laughs> uh, well, then maybe, then maybe, then their model doesn't work. But I don't believe that they should be allowed to just ban you and then you have no recourse. Yeah, no, it's it's also might be, you know, that's, that's the point. Uh, yeah, that's the point. Anyways... So number seven, market this as a pivotal piece of greater cultural movement to restore America. There are people who could still be reached that desperately want something positive to latch onto after they've been subject after what they've been subjected to over the last few years. Definitely true. Definitely true. Definitely true. Eight, put people you trust in there immediately to start figure out start to figure out how their internal processes work. They will try to adapt by shielding what they really do to outsiders. But this again highlights why it is so important to move quickly. And then he says in parentheses, I volunteer. Uh, do you I volunteer? Mean, uh, yeah, I volunteer. I, I would love to see what they do at, at Twitter. I would love to see how Twitter operates. Um, there's not even a chance they're going to treat you fairly. Don't expect it. Do not give them the benefit of the doubt. They fully understand the severity of the situation. This is a thing I think more Republicans need to do more broadly. They need to stop treating the, the the left, broadly speaking, I'm not talking about individuals on the left, I'm talking about the left broadly as some sort of um, well-meaning, uh, I guess, political activists. 
they have to start treating them as enemy combatants and that they know what they're doing and they need to start attacking and they need to start saying, you are not acting in good faith. I'm going to treat you like an enemy combatant. Obviously, like, don't hurt anyone physically. This is like a, a war of position. But still stop giving them the benefit of the doubt. Stop pretending that, you know, there's there are people you, can work, you can't work with them. You need to throw them out. Ten, strike while they are emotional. Let the changes you cause become the story. They will literally write it for you, and the public will cheer for what you're doing. The liberal media is one of the most universally hated entities in the United States. Obviously. What kind of... Yes, obviously. And lastly, eleven, remove verified status from most journos, commentators, and media outlets. These individuals slash companies do not deserve to have their signal amplified. The decision to grandfather in legacy media single-handedly preserve their control over the narrative. I don't know if I agree with this one. I don't agree with it either because you're literally, he's literally telling Elon Musk to do, you know, to them what they did to us, which would be, you know, hypocritical. Uh, no, I don't care about that. This is a war. Like, you're, that. that's like, the, I don't think that's hypocritical because that's like saying, that's like saying if like the, if like, let's say we were in an army, right? And then the other army comes, wait, you want us? To stop killing you guys, and you wanna you want to kill our guys? That's hypocritical, man. So like, no, that's war, buddy. <laughs> no, but the reason I don't want this is because there is a reason for verified status. Because there are people that are famous, and there are people who we do want to know that they they are the real person. I don't think it's it's bad for us to have the the concept of a verified verified user. Uh, what I will say though, is that I like the idea of continually laughing at them and saying like, oh, they're blue check marks. So they obviously have those opinions. Uh, let's talk about Colorado and Florida. So let's talk about that. So it was interesting because Tim pool said on the Tim cast, I forget if it was one of his segments or if he brought it up on the IRL podcast, but essentially he said that you know, Florida is he was he brought up the point that Miami Dade in 2020 went red for the first time in a while. Now, Miami Dade's a, a county with like Miami in it, right? Most cities, regardless of where you are, vote blue. And so the fact that Miami Dade went red, it was a big bloody deal. And then I was thinking, you know, Colorado used to be a purple state, and then they kind of went blue. And so I wanted to think what what caused these things to happen. So I decided to I don't know, break out the old uh, Google search engine. And I decided I was going to do some research. The old-fashioned way. The old-fashioned way, yeah. Like I was taught in school. Well, the old-fashioned way would be going to a library. Well, but I need data, so it's more like... (laughs) No, but still, like, I felt, you know, instead of just talking about the news, I felt I would actually do some research. Like, you know, make, make it worth it. Do something that no one does, right? So just keep in mind, I didn't, this is not my dissertation. I didn't, you know, research this for hours, but I did look into this. So this is my speculation and I'm, I'm using data points. Obviously, if like, if I had to, you know, do more research, I would probably look into state elections and individual politicians and this, that to really get a better idea. But this is just from what I'm looking at. I'm using uh, data from the census as well as 270 and other articles that I looked at. So from what I understand, and this is uh, basically the question is, why is Colorado blue and why is Florida red when that wasn't historically the case even 10, 15 years ago? 
right? I don't know. Exactly. You tell so, me. Right. So, so that's the question I'm, I'm trying to answer. And, and if you have any questions, you're, you're free to ask, of course. I don't want to just be an echo chamber. I don't just want to be saying my own opinion. So I'm going to I'm going to look at what the data says, and I'm going to say my hypothesis. So in Colorado, in the 2000-2004 election, they voted for George Bush. And then in 2008, they voted for Barack Obama. That was like the real first time that we see that in Colorado, they went blue, right? Now, this is the data from Colorado. Uh, if you want, you could pull up the, the 270 to win uh, chart that I sent you. In 2008, they voted overwhelmingly for Barack Obama. It's like a nine percentage point lead. And in 2012, they voted for Barack Obama, but less so. It was like a four point, no, five point lead, right? And there was a lot of people who voted independent. For some reason, there's a lot of people who voted independent in Colorado. That's very interesting. Um, but in 2012, at the, the real tail end of 2012, they legalized marijuana in the state of Colorado. And so now I'm going to look at uh, the, the immigration into Colorado. So this is what happened. So I'm looking at the data from, you know, 2012 to 2014, 2016, 2018. So in 2012, at the tail end of 2012, which is to say really 2013, they legalized marijuana. It took about a year for, for recreational dispensaries to open up. 2015, we see an, a really weird increase in the amount of people that moved to Colorado. And yeah. and I would be an idiot to not assume that, well, now weed is legal. You could go into a store, buy weed. Maybe that's why there are a lot of people that move to Colorado. Yeah, and people who smoke weed tend to be more left. Aha, uh -huh, ah, uh, so you, you, you jumped the gun there. So let's see, let's go back to the voting records, right? Yeah, jump the gun because they don't want guns. Exactly. In 2016, <laughs> well, yeah, right? In 2016, you see there's a lot of people that voted for Barack, for for Hillary Clinton, less so that voted for Donald Trump. This is 2016. A lot of people that voted independent for some reason. In 2020, I don't like a lot. They don't like both parties. Well, Hillary was particularly awful, so I don't blame them. But in in 2020, they voted 55% for Joe Biden, 42% for Donald Trump. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's what that's what a bunch of potheads moving to your state will do to you. Now, let's look at Florida's voting patterns, right? Let's look at Florida's voting patterns because Florida, wait, no, hold on a minute. So in 2000, it was evenly split, Okay. Now, we see that in 1996, they voted for Bill Clinton, and there was some... Basically, it was not necessarily all red. It was not nearly as red as it is now. But now, we see that, you know, in 2008 and 2012, they voted Democrat. They voted for Barack Obama not once, but twice. They voted for Barack Obama. Then they voted for Donald Trump in 2016, and then... And this is the big kicker. They voted for Ron DeSantis in 2018. Yeah. They voted for Ron DeSantis. And so let's see what happened. So let's look at the data, right? The Florida ranks... No, this is from the Economic Development Council, uh, TampaBayEDC.com. News, Florida ranks one in net migration for fifth consecutive year. Yeah. Right? 
part of it probably were also the Cubans also. Was, you think to, so? Well, I mean, yeah, Cubans, you know, they, they tend to be more conservative. And since, you know, Florida is the closest. Oh, you know, before, before we talk about the speculation, let's talk about what the facts are. Okay, fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's let's do that. Anyways, so this is the net migration. Florida ranks number one in the nation among the largest net migration since 2019 for a gain of over 252,700 or 16, 692 people per day, right? Which is to say that in the United States, 252,000 people moved to Florida that year. And you see all these right-wing policies coming out of Florida. Right. So this is a yes. And we see also, keep in mind, year over year, Florida gained over 30,000 residents, followed by Texas and Arizona. California and New York indicated the most loss. Yeah, because everyone's moving out of out of those because, I mean, part of it is the taxes. But then you also have to worry, like, wait, so is it Republic? Is it, you know, conservatives or is it liberals moving to these, you know, red states because red states have you know lower taxes and then by by that they're going to possibly make these places blue so i think or do you think it's the opposite i think and it's not because i don't agree with your black pill it's more that i see it simply as a matter of you're not going to leave california if you think california is doing a great job true right so the people who are leaving california they're probably, they're probably red. And I see that a lot. I think, I, I think you, you have to give people credit. I think most people on some level understand that if you're going to move to a new place, you're going to go and move to a place that aligns with your values on some level. And that's what I think a lot of people moving to Florida are doing, right? And they're also moving to Texas. They're moving to Arizona. They're moving to Tennessee. We're seeing a lot of that. And we're seeing New York and California and Illinois. They're hemorrhaging, hemorrhaging users. And so if I had to make a guess, right, my hypothesis initially was that these policies came into place and then it caused people to move. But I think it's a little more complicated than that, right? My theory is that one bad election causes politicians to make a law that causes many, many more people to come. Uh, yeah. So that's what it seems like. The, that's what, I mean, according to your, uh, you know, the numbers, um, that's, it seems like what the pattern is. Um, I guess my question is if that is the case, is this more of a more recent phenomenon or is, has this been, has this always been happening? Well, I think you just have more, you have, you have a greater ability to move nowadays. So it makes more sense to me that, and you have more access to information, Right. I think also there's less of an emphasis on living with your family. I think in the olden days, you may have stayed in a place, even if you didn't like the policies, because there was a connection with your family, this, that. But nowadays, right, most people don't live with their families. They're able to fly somewhere else for the holidays. So a lot of people will move to where the grass, the, the pastures are green. So I, I think it's probably a more recent phenomenon that people are moving states because of these things. But I would like to... I guess the data, right, the data obviously is interesting, but to me, right, I didn't do enough research to really, you know, make a big deal about the data, right? And this is just a preliminary view. I could obviously spend hours and weeks and months writing a whole 25-page dissertation on this, right? But I guess from what I, from my theory, and maybe 
you know, this, this is what I take from it. Social policy is very important. Conservatives like to say, no, 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 let's, let's ignore the social policy. Let's ignore the culture war. Let's just lower taxes. Everyone loves lower taxes. I agree everyone likes lower taxes. But this demonstrates that social policy is very important. And now you might say there's, there's, economic, there's economic sides to everything, right? Of course there are. But let's look at the two social issues, right? The social issues that I think moved people to Colorado were the legaliza- was the legalization of marijuana. If you're a pothead yeah. and you don't want to be persecuted by your government, you move to Colorado. Then the Colorado government, yeah, I got your back, bro. Go enjoy your weed, right? But the reason why I think a lot of people move to Florida is not even because of Ron DeSantis, because he got elected in 2018, 2019. What he did that was so fascinating was he decided, oh, you know, all those states that are closing up, we're just not going to do that. Yeah. There's economic things to both aspects, right? I think like probably legalization of marijuana opened a new kind of legal form of business in Colorado. But legalization of marijuana is more than just money. It's about what can you do with your time. It's about who's around you. Like, what what do you view as a good time? What do you what do you view as a good thing to do with your time? And anti COVID measures are also a thing. Do we lock people in their houses because of a cold, or do we say like, hey, listen, you take the risks, but we gotta have society operating. And then obviously, like, of course, Ron DeSantis is being like an absolute boss when it comes to the gender stuff, especially with the kids and schools and the Disney and everything. So he's doing a really good job. And so people are like, oh, you know, I really want him to be on my corner. I really want him to be my governor. So I'm going to move to Florida so that he's defending my kid's right to be a child and and not have some weirdo with blue hair talk to them about gender non-binary activism. Yeah, no, you're you're right. (laughs) So I, I think the social issues are actually very important. And, and this, to me, demonstrates that the social issues, the social issues are what matter. Money people can live without. I've seen, I've seen many people in Israel who don't save anything because there's just no money to save, right? But it's the social issues that matter. That's why people move to Israel. That's why a lot of Jews move to Israel, because of the social issues, because they want their kids to grow up in a Jewish place, right? Same thing here. When you move to Colorado, it's because you want weed. When you move to Florida, it's because you want... Yeah, maybe the weather's nice, although Florida's a bit muggy. But you know what? You move to Florida because you want Ron DeSantis protecting your kids from gender queerdos. Yeah, that's what society and culture has value. It, yeah, it has a lot more value than we give credit for. So that that's what I would say. This is the tale of two policies, right? Don't think that you're going to get anything by conceding on the social issues. Don't be Colorado. Be Florida. If you be Florida, your state will be better. If you be Colorado... You will get a bunch of potheads moving into basements in, in throughout your state. Don't be Colorado, be Florida. Anything else you want to add? Um, no. I mean, you you said it all. You uh, you basically. I agree with you know what you're saying that obviously uh, society and policies that affect you know the culture and society within that state will will affect where people move and obviously if if you're a republican you see hey florida you know values what i value i'm gonna live there so then you're gonna move there and you know by moving there you're going to then either make the state uh more red 
uh, in Florida's case and more, or in Colorado's case, more blue. Like I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, shortly afterwards, you know, the you know abortion policies in Colorado became more like lenient. And then that got even more people to come uh, to Colorado. Uh, I mean, one thing I would say about Florida is what probably made it initially red in the first place was probably Cubans because Cubans tend to be more, conservative because they were coming from a uh, communist uh yeah and but that strengthens the that strengthens the argument because what came first did it like it's almost like a chicken and egg scenario right what came first the conservative voter or the conservative policy exactly does the the conservative policy drive the conservative voter to come to the place to vote conservatively or does the conservative voter make the policy more conservative that's actually a very interesting question because you're right. Which one did come first? Because, you know, Ron DeSantis couldn't, you know, get into office without those voters there being first. But at the same time, like, you know, we saw, you know, a big, you know, in, you know, migration to Florida because of DeSantis. So it's like, you know, which one? Yeah. Know, came first. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I so I would say to a lot of politicians, perhaps, if you if you see that the people want conservative policy, Vote for the conservative, do the conservative policy position, because then more conservatives are going to come. You're going to say you're going to attract conservatives to to your state and then you're going to get more voters. That's what I would say. So, yeah, I I think you that was an excellent point you made there, Rodi. I'm very glad you made it. And uh, yeah, I I don't know what else to say. I didn't do enough research to say anything else. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, then I guess that uh, wraps up our show then. So that's our episode. Uh, Smash the like button, share the video with your friends, and subscribe to the channel. In addition, we are available on all your favorite podcast platforms. You can reach out to us by sliding into our DMs at the right side of the compass or by commenting on the video. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and we look forward to you joining us next time.